Turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, please. As we continue through this wonderful Gospel, chapter 9 brings a lot of interesting insights into this gift of salvation that Jesus ushers into humanity. That's the one thing I wish for us to see. If, if, if you wish to go back and, and really analyze and meditate and pray through chapter 8 and 9 together, there's a lot here that Matthew is showing us about salvation through Jesus Christ and what that entails. And the number one theme that I think that we can glean from both chapter 8 and chapter 9 very clearly is that salvation is not of us. And this is what Matthew is showing us in his gospel, that Jesus alone has authority to forgive, and Jesus alone has authority to save. Amen? And so if you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, beginning um, in verse 14. Let us stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins uh, burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Mm. Let's pray. Father God, we praise You for Your Word. And even these words of Your Son, Jesus, resonate to us even today. And so God, I pray that You would speak to us in Your Word, that You would cause us to see the truth of this Gospel the truth of salvation through Jesus Christ. Lord, we try to add to Your Word, and we try to add to even our salvation. And Lord, I think You're trying to show us something here about the vanity of that and how that fails. So Lord, speak to us now through Your Word, I pray. Stir the hearts of all who are here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please have a seat. Matthew's gospel here at this section, I think now, takes us into a a new scene, a new encounter. Remember last week, uh, we studied and and looked at the calling of Matthew in those previous verses and how it was through mercy that God saves. He does not call us based on our merit at all. We are undeserved. And so, so grace is undeserved favor. Yet mercy is God meeting us in our circumstances. And this is what Jesus does. He meets Matthew in the midst of his sinful life in his circumstances, and he calls him out of that, follow me. And then from that, Matthew gives a celebration, a feast in verses 10 through 13. Matthew wants to celebrate. Let let me introduce you to this man who saved me. And now I think beginning into verse 14, I think it's, it, it would not be wrong to think that this scene continues here, that as Matthew is celebrating in a feast, 
the Pharisees or the disciples of John the Baptist who had aligned themselves with the Pharisees by this point began to act like the Pharisees and they were witnessing what was going on and the finger wagging happens, right? You see that in the Gospels all the time. Uh, the, the Pharisees, those who are legalistic, those who say we must earn our salvation, that we must do things to earn God's favor. And when Jesus and his disciples do not toe the line, here comes the finger. It happens all the time in the Gospels, but does it not also happen amongst us in the church still? Sure it does. We can get caught up in the what it, What do we do to be Christians if we're not careful? It's a, it's a very slippery slope and it can easily happen. And this is why I think it's important to continue to see the truth of the Gospels all the time, isn't it? And so here we are in verse 14. Jesus is being confronted by some of the disciples of John the Baptist. Jesus here is, is showing us, I think, that he's, he's clearly sh- ushering in something new. A new covenant is being established here. And we see this all the time, every month, when we come to the Lord's table in communion here at Sovereign Grace. What, what do we see in the Scriptures? What does Jesus say at the Last Supper as he raises the cup and he shares it with his disciples, he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Take and remember. I think what we're seeing here as well is that Jesus is really coming against the old traditions as this new covenant that Jesus is ushering in is being fulfilled. And there's this clash that's happening. Jesus speaks of a new and internal gospel of forgiveness. The kingdom of heaven, if you remember back in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6, as during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount that the kingdom of heaven is established where? Inside of men. It's not an external kingdom at all. It is a renewal and a restoration of fallen humanity with God the Father. The kingdom is here, but it is set up not in the external. It's set up in the renewal of sinners. Amen? Restoring them into God's graces through forgiveness, through the payment that Christ gives through His blood on the cross to atone for our sin. The establishment of the kingdom is within each and every one of us. As we are made new in Christ, the kingdom. So as Jesus is teaching this new gospel of forgiveness that is so radical to the Pharisees, this teaching shows that cleansing cannot be something that is attached to an old tradition. It cannot be something that is patched on a self-righteous ritual. The newness in Christ, the, the kingdom of heaven, is something that is so new and fresh, it requires fresh wineskin. But think about this as what we're seeing here in this text, and we're going to unpack this today, is that Jesus is actually responding to these disciples of John who are acting like Pharisees and showing them the truth of the gospel. They're seeing the old tradition, but he's saying what you're, what you're missing is that I am showing mercy to my disciples through my presence and that the only suitable container for this new covenant is something fresh and renewed. Old skins, old tradition, they're too brittle and dry to hold what I'm bringing. 
Let's take a look here at verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Notice this is this would be in the context of the great feast that's happening here. right? The, the, Matthew in celebrating Jesus, calling of him to be a preacher of the gospel, calling him to repentance and renewal. The Pharisees and, and, and these disciples of John ask the question, Look at us. We fast and pray. Why do your disciples not do the same, Jesus? Now, if you're taking notes, this text here in Matthew chapter 9 is also seen again in Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, and then Luke chapter 5, verses 33 through 39. And when you look at all three of these gospel narratives of this story, you're going to see some different details that I want to bring out today. But if you're taking notes, I encourage you to read this passage in Matthew 9 with these other passages as well. But let's take a look at here in verse 14. This, John the Baptist is no longer on the scene at this point. We can glean from this, uh, from this text and also from the text in, in the Gospels of John is particularly, but also in Luke's gospel, that by this point, John the Baptist has, has stepped back from his ministry because Jesus is now here, right? Uh, it is John's gospel where John the Baptist is cited as saying, I must decrease, yet he must increase. So at this point, John the Baptist has receded. We don't know at this context of Matthew's gospel whether John's been arrested yet or not, that's irrelevant. But we know that John has kind of receded in his ministry and Jesus has now come to the front. What has happened here is that John the Baptist, as he ends his ministry at the point of Jesus coming, the followers of John the Baptist kind of went different ways. We can glean here from this text and especially another text in Mark and Luke that, and even in the book of Acts that we'll point out here, uh, some of the followers of John the Baptist followed Jesus, became disciples of Jesus. Some did. Others aligned themselves with the Pharisees. And I think this verse, verse 14, kind of shows us this. The disciples of John come to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast? Some of John the Baptist's followers fall under the tutelage now of the Pharisees. This shows us that even... Some of these disciples of John, Acts chapter nine, Acts chapter nineteen, verses one through seven, uh, when when Paul comes to Ephesus, they encounter some of John the Baptist's followers, and even they admit that they trusted in John's baptism of repentance, and they had to be taught in Acts chapter nineteen about the baptism of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So we can even see here that in, in different scenes of the Gospels and even in the New Testament that John's disciples kind of scattered and went different directions. It's what we're seeing here in verse 14. So these disciples of John were acting like Pharisees. They're asking the questions, right? Why do we fast, but your disciples do not? It's a challenge. For the Pharisees... And even in the Jewish tradition, mealtime was never just merely for physical nourishment. Mealtime was not just simply social occasions. For the Jewish tradition, and particularly for the Pharisees, they saw the gathering together around mealtime as clearly a religious thing. 
They saw religious significance in the gathering of, of sharing of food. So you can see as they're feasting here in Matthew's house and these Pharisaical John the Baptist followers, and I'm sure there were some Pharisees in the mix here too, their filter here was there's got to be a religious significance here. Why are you celebrating all the time, but we never see you fast? You see the problem? Let's look here at the response that Jesus has. Verse 15, And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Jesus responds here, I think he's showing us what the true meaning of fasting and prayer is. We saw when we were going through the, uh, through the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18 about fasting. About the true gen, about the true purpose of fasting. It's not about an external religious, uh, scene. It's not about a, an external image. It is more about a, a communion with the Lord actually in the midst of sorrow and suffering. We are absent from God's presence and fasting and prayer. Let me emphasize, if you want to go back and listen to the teaching on that, Matthew chapter six, that's in our our archive of sermons on the website, fasting and prayer are always intertwined. You do not fast without praying. And I would say oftentimes, if you go through a season of intense prayer, prayer of that level should always also be accompanied by some level of fasting too. We see that in Scripture. And it's a tradition in the church that is very well documented. But it's a discipline of the faith that I think we have lost fasting and prayer together. But it's not an external thing. What is it? It's this purpose and this desire to be in God's presence, to hear from Him, for Him to hear us, for us to fervently come before the Lord with our petitions and our prayers. And it is through fasting that, not that we're earning God's favor for neglecting our body, but what it does is it shows our body we need something more than physical nourishment. We need the Lord. We There's a spiritual element of our being that is more important than eating. That's what fasting is about. But Jesus here, as he responds here in verse 15, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? You know, if, if fasting is this tangible expression of our relationship with the Lord, Jesus here is teaching us here that that's more the case than fasting being a religious rite. It's not a ritual. It is something that is intended to be a direct correlation of our relationship with the Lord. That's what fasting and prayer is. Jesus here is teaching, he's responding to these followers of John the Baptist who are pharisaical in their thinking that Jesus' own presence, his own presence in the season of this text, of this scene, is the season of ushering in this age of salvation, or some people have called this rightly, with the age of grace, Right? And if Jesus is ushering in this age of grace through salvation in him, then this, while Jesus is present in this scene, that renders fasting temporarily set aside while he's with his disciples. Now, let's think about here what he's saying. Look here in verse 15. Can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. 
Jesus is connecting this fasting and prayer with the traditional wedding feast. Rightly so. Have we seen this imagery in Scripture as well about the connection of the church to our Lord? Jesus is the bridegroom, and He's coming to get His bride, the church. The imagery is all throughout Scripture. The traditional wedding feast at this time It would have been very appropriate while you're celebrating during the the wedding feast, as you're celebrating with the bride and the groom, you would be present with them. Think about this. I wish that we'd still kind of did this today. I wish that we had like a week-long festival and a feast and celebration for a wedding. I wish that we could still do that. Amen? Wouldn't that be great? Come on, Baptist. Amen. Let's eat for a week. All right? All right? Because a a wedding is a reflection of our Savior buying and redeeming His bride. Scripture tells us this. Marriage in the church is not just, let's just get married and see if it works. It is a reflection of salvation. Amen? It is an image of salvation. So what Jesus is saying here in this, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom was with them? If you were celebrating at the wedding feast, imagine how rude it would be and how inappropriate it would be in the middle of celebrating with the bride and groom, you left. I'm sorry, I can't celebrate with you. I've got more important things to do. Or in this context, I can't celebrate with you I'm so religious, I'm in the middle of a fast this week. Look at me how holy I am. What are you saying to the bride and the groom in the midst of that? Your wedding is not important for me. Your presence is not important to me. I have other things that are more important, like my fasting. Look at me. You see what Jesus is saying here? Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? That tells us this idea of mourning is connected to the idea of fasting. Fasting is, 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 is this season of mourning the absence of God's presence. That's really what Jesus is teaching us here. So during the wedding feast, fasting would have been clearly not only culturally inappropriate, but also socially inappropriate. And Jesus is responding to them in kind. Don't you understand the traditions of the wedding? Well, if you understand the traditions of the wedding, why are you challenging me on fasting during this time? We're having a wedding feast right now. The bridegroom has come. The bridegroom is here to take home his church. You see what Jesus is saying here? So while the wedding celebration is, I mean, the wedding celebration is a, a, an image, a reflection of this age of grace, this age of salvation that Jesus is ushering in here at this time. So fasting for the disciples of Jesus would have been just as inappropriate while Jesus was present. Jesus is the bridegroom. His church is the bride. So why should the disciples fast while the bridegroom is there? That's what Jesus is saying. It would have been so inappropriate for the disciples to fast while Jesus was in their presence. Mark chapter 2 The parallel passage to this kind of helps us see a little bit deeper. Jesus says here in Mark chapter 2, verses 19 through 20, He said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then 
they will fast on that day. So what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying that fasting is inappropriate. As some people may have taken this, this passage out of context. Some people have said in, in the new age of grace, we are no longer permitted to fast or we should not fast because of what Jesus says here. That's, that's wrong interpretation. Jesus is not saying don't fast because here at the end of verse 15, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. As Jesus departs and he leaves his church behind, then it will be appropriate for them to fast because their Savior is no longer physically present with them. You see the point here? So you kind of see the deeper meaning of fasting. But we don't want to get so caught up in trying to understand fasting in this text because that's not the main point. Here's the main point. Jesus continues here in verse 16. In verse 16 and 17, now Jesus kind of, he speaks a parable. Right? What is a parable? It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an imagery here. It's a story that means something spiritually significant. Something, because the truths of the kingdom are beyond our comprehension. And the only way for us to truly understand this is for Jesus to speak in parables from time to time. So let's see what he's saying here in verses 16 through 17. He continues, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Now let's think about what Jesus is saying here in verses 16 through 17. I think his response here to these disciples of John and also to the Pharisees, I think they are blinded in this moment by their lack of mercy. We saw this in, in the previous passages where Jesus calls Matthew. The Pharisees who were challenging Jesus for eating with tax collectors and sinners, they're carrying the same theme here into this challenge of why do you not fast? And so in verses 16 through 17, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Who is Jesus talking about here? These Pharisees, they're, they're, they're so wrapped up in their tradition and in their religious rituals. They are blinded to the mercy of Jesus being with his people. He's blind. They're blinded by seeing Jesus being with sinners and tax collectors. They're blinded to see what Jesus is doing in the lives of his disciples. They're blind. And what Jesus is saying here in verse 16, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Jesus here is, he, he's, he's speaking about doing away with the old and bringing in the new. Not, and, and, does not refer to setting aside the divine law. Jesus is not saying get rid of the divine law. Do not get rid of the Old Testament. He's not saying that I am replacing the old Mosaic law. He's saying that I am ushering in something new. But look here in verse 16. If you put a patch on an old piece of cloth, what happens? The old cloth will tear. That, that new patch is going to stretch it. Now, what Jesus is saying here, we've got to make sure that we say that Jesus, Jesus is not setting aside the old Mosaic law. He's coming to fulfill the law. And if you are coming to fulfill the law, 
Jesus is not putting a patch on the old law. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a patch. That's the main point here. (laughs) You see what we're saying? Because Jesus didn't come to put a patch on the problems that the Pharisees and the religious folks had taken the Mosaic law and twisted it and distorted it. He's not here to patch it. He's here to fix it. Amen? He's here to fix it. Jesus categorically does not say that he's come to destroy the law. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Taking notes, he says, I'm not here to destroy the law. I'm here to fulfill it. So the old wineskins are not necessarily the teachings of the Old Testament. But I think in the context of this passage, who is Jesus talking about? Who are the Pharisees and John's disciples talking about? Right? They said, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? The context here are the disciples of Jesus. And Jesus here, he's saying that the old wineskins, it's not the Old Testament law, but instead was the rabbinical traditions of the Pharisees that had been twisted. And Jesus here is talking about the mercy granted to his disciples. Why do I not cause them to fast? Why are they not fasting? Number one, I'm in their presence. It would be rude if they did. But number two, I am here to do something. I'm not here to just patch something old. I'm here to do something new. Look here in verse 17. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If Jesus is here to establish the kingdom of heaven within the redeemed of the Lord, if he's here to redeem us and restore us and make us new, then he can, then, then the new covenant of Christ cannot be poured into old flesh. So if we are sinners, and we are, amen? Anybody here not a sinner? Everybody's a sinner. You're learning the truth, amen. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. If we are still in our old sin, and we are still these old wineskins, the old dry, brittle, trying to do things on our own wineskin, that is our flesh, cannot contain the new covenant of Christ. It has to be replaced. You see what we're saying here? So these disciples of Christ who are with Jesus every single day, who are not fasting because Jesus is with them, Jesus is actually having compassion on them, and he's responding to these Pharisees and these disciples of John. They're not fasting because I'm with them. They're not fasting because it would be rude to do so. But at the same time, they're not fasting because I am making them new in the process right now. They are no longer these old, dry, brittle wineskins that burst when you put fresh wine in them. I'm actually not I'm actually taking them and making them into new something, a, a wineskin that is fresh, a wineskin that, that can take the new covenant of the, of the Lord and the new covenant of the kingdom and actually hold it and preserve it and distribute it. You see that? You see, the true believer in Christ, what we're seeing here is that Jesus is saying, these are my true disciples who are following me. They're not... They're not going to take the old traditions and break them down and just it just break them apart. The new covenant is necessary, so I have to renew them from the inside out. I have to make them totally new spiritually and 
maybe physically too. Because when the Lord, when we take on the new mind of Christ, that's a spiritual thing, but it's also a reality thing. When we are made new in Christ, we are made new spiritually, but I want to say that we're also made new physically. We become new creatures inside and out. Doesn't mean that we're not going to age. Doesn't mean that we're not going to die. We're still going to do all that. We're still going to get sick. <laughs> okay. We're going to die. We're going to age. We're going to get sick. Doesn't mean that Jesus is taking all of that away, despite what our health and wealth prosperity gospel people say. We love them, but they're wrong. Amen. But what Jesus is pointing out here is this. What I am bringing cannot be contained in the old ways. There's something new coming, and I'm doing it right now. The true believer in Christ, and that's who these disciples are. These disciples are disciples. The idea of discipleship is a process. When we come to Christ and we are made new in Christ and we are redeemed in Christ, when we turn from our sin, we repent and we turn to Christ in faith, we are made new. Amen? And Jesus is saying that's necessary. And this is what we're doing. So these disciples, he's still bringing them along. <laughs> they still have a little bit more teaching in them. He's still got to bring them in and shape them into what he wants them and needs them to be for the kingdom. He's still working on them. And so they're becoming new wineskins and he's pouring in new wine into them every single day while he's with them. Amen? And so the result here is this, that these disciples are going to become the preachers of the gospel that Jesus is going to establish when he departs. So when he departs, they're going to, they're going to fast again when he goes. But when they fast, they're going to be new wineskins. And they're going to be filled with the new wine of Jesus and the covenant through his blood. You see that? Isn't that amazing? Jesus doesn't come to patch lives. He comes to make them new. He doesn't come and just cover over their sin. He comes to wash away and purify the sin from us to make us new. That's what Jesus is speaking about here. So no one, verse 16, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. How do we apply this to ourselves? Jesus is talking about his disciples here. But if we are disciples of Christ, if we are still learning from Christ every single day, even as he has made us new. Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 9 is a very important verse. How many people who claim the name of Christ come to Christ with the idea that Jesus is going to patch me up and they still hold on to their old selves? If you're coming to Christ in that terms, then you're coming to Christ in the wrong terms. Jesus does not come to patch us. Jesus comes to restore us. But how many people claim the name of Christ and say, oh, I'm just going to come and get a fix? I argue that they've come to Christ inappropriately, and Christ has not restored them, and they are not made new in Him, so therefore they are not Christians. I think that's a deeper thing here that, that Jesus is also implying. I am not here to patch the old. 
If you come to me with that mindset, your faith is not genuine. Your faith is not the faith that I'm looking for. Jesus, as he forgave the paralytic in, in Matthew in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 2. I'm sorry, verse 3. Yeah, verse at the end of verse 2. When Jesus says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. The paralytic and his friends do not come to Jesus looking for a patch. Their faith was so pure and their faith was so genuine that Jesus recognized it and he responded to it and he said, your sins are forgiven. That's the beginning of a restoration in us that Christ does through faith. It requires a so, a so deep faith that we trust the Lord so deeply that we understand that He's not here just to put a band-aid over our sin. He's here to totally purify us and purge us of our sin and make us so fresh and so new in Him that the new covenant of Christ in His blood can be filled in us and we can contain it and we can be fresh in it. Amen? So here's the question. Are you fasting and praying as Jesus here is calling about? Are you a true believer in Christ who forsakes all of the old legalism and all the old ritualism? Are you a true Christian who expresses your genuine concern for others? Are you a true Christian who expresses the love of Christ and you express to others, I love Jesus Christ so much because He has redeemed me? Are you a true Christian whose faith is so ingrained in what Christ has done and who Christ is that you are so radically new that it is so obvious to everyone that they say, you're a new creation. You are a new wineskin. Are you that level of a deep Christian? Is that your walk with the Lord? Or is your approach to the Lord, Jesus, I'm going to come and get my Band-Aid today. I have to confess, there's times in my own personal prayer with the Lord that I'm just looking for a Band-Aid. I'm looking for a patch. I'm not looking for Him to purge the poison out of me. That's sin. And so Jesus is teaching something deeper here to these Pharisees. They think that their relationship and their walk with the Lord, that their service to the kingdom, that their service to the Mosaic law requires certain patches and certain rituals and certain checkoff lists. And when they see other people not doing the same, the, wag, the finger comes out and wags. Yet Jesus is teaching us here in this scene, I'm not here to do that. I'm here to restore people. I'm here to make something new. What you have done to my Father's law, the Old Testament law is pure and genuine and points to Christ. And what these Pharisees and these religious people had done to it, they had made it so old and brittle and fragile that nothing could be done with it. And so Jesus is proclaiming here what He's, he's here to usher in a new age of salvation, a new age of grace, a fulfillment of what the Old Testament law was pointing to anyway. It's not that He's doing away with it. question is for us, as true Christians, if you are a true Christian, a true Christian does not try to attach 
his new life in Christ to his old life. He does not try to attach Christ to any old ritual or old tradition, nor does a true Christian try to patch the sinful life they have. In other words, trying to merge their sin with Jesus. That don't work. We don't merge our sin with Christ. Christ restores and purges the sin and makes something new. But how many of us try to do that? We're trying to merge our old self with the Christ. The genuine righteousness of a forgiven, cleansed heart cannot be enhanced or supplemented by any kind of religious ritual. A genuine righteousness of a forgiven Christian, the cleansed heart of the Christian, can only receive the newness of Christ. Period. That's it. And that's what Jesus is saying here. So the heart of a genuinely new Christian is filled with the life-giving wine of Christ's blood. Here's, a, here's something that... John Newton wrote this. You know, John, we know John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. <laughs> he also wrote a lot of other stuff, okay? He was a man who was so broken and brittle <laughs> that when Christ broke him and made him new, did he not change? Amen? When you sing Amazing Grace, when you look at his life as a slave trader, when he realized the depth of his sin and the newness of life in Christ, he radically turned from it. He changed it. He became a preacher of the gospel. And here's what he wrote. John Newton says this in one of his songs that he wrote. My soul is thrilled. My heart is filled to think he died for me. As you hear these words of Jesus, neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. That's the sign of a heart that has not been renewed. That's the sign of someone coming to Christ inappropriately. They've been lied to perhaps. And when they get into the faith, they collapse and it doesn't take root, it doesn't stay put it breaks and it just destroys them. But continue here. Here's what Jesus says. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And so both are preserved. What is preserved? So both are preserved. Both the covenant in Christ is preserved and the new Christian is preserved. The gospel continues and blossoms because there's a new wineskin. Are you a Christian here who can sing the song of John Newton? My soul is thrilled, my heart is filled to think he died for me. Or are you the false Christian, the misguided Christian, who as the blood of Christ is spilled for you and the gospel is poured into you, your life crashes and burns and the gospel is actually spilled on the floor? Which is it? Is your soul filled with Christ to the point that you're not only thriving in Christ, you're containing Christ. And then you're able to pour that out to others in a fresh way as well. Or are you filled, is your soul 
so full of Christ that you're thrilled with the possibilities, that you're, that you're thrilled with the reality that I am a new wineskin and Jesus is this new wine that fills me. The gospel has made me new. Are you so thrilled with that, that you can sing that song? Or are you so trapped and still bonded by your old self and your sinful self that it's almost brittle and dry and every time you hear the name of Christ, you feel broken and crushed? Which is it? If your soul is so filled with Christ that you are thrilled with joy, then you're a new wineskin. Amen? Right? Do you feel like a new wineskin? We're going to be baptizing you here soon, I think. We're waiting for the right... here When y'all get back from traveling and everybody gets settled, we're going to have another baptism here soon. Right, Izzy? Now, here's one thing I want... I want can I embarrass you? New, new Christians are ripe for embarrassment, right? They're great sermon illustrations because here's what I noticed with Izzy when she came to me several weeks back. I saw in her face something so radically different. I said, something's happened, and it was obvious. Confess it. I mean, you confess this. You were kind of bitter and angry. You're joyful and happy now. You see the difference? That's what Jesus is talking about here. It's nothing that we do for ourselves. We don't come to Christ for a patch. We come to Christ to be made new. And Jesus is telling these Pharisees, He's telling these these folks, you've missed the point. I'm not here to just patch things. I'm not here to take old dead wineskins and keep them going. I'm here to restore things and make it so radically new to fulfill the law to the point that it's just going to gush out to everybody. Amen? And so the response to these legalistic people is that fasting is still important. Let's not forget that Jesus does say in Matthew chapter 5, He didn't come to destroy the law. But in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, Jesus does encourage fasting and prayer. This passage of text in Matthew 9 does not say don't fast and pray. It's just while He was with His disciples, there was no need. There was no need. Now when I depart from them, they'll feel sorrow. (laughs) And then they will fast and pray. But folks... Do we not serve a Savior so rich and so lovely? Does He not fill you with joy? Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. And I pray through this narrative of Matthew's Gospel that You would allow the truth of this text to just permeate our being. Jesus is teaching here that the old traditions of the distorted Mosaic law that the Pharisees and the, and, and the religious elite, they had taken religious truth to an extreme to where it was no longer true. And He was here to show them the truth. That God the Father, before the very beginning of time, predestined us to the fulfillment of His glory. And Jesus is here in this context of Matthew's Gospel telling us, I'm here to bring you to salvation and to bring glory to our Father in heaven. 
Dear God, I pray that You would cause us to see where we have failed You through this story, through Jesus' response to these pharisaical people. Wake us up, Lord, and show us if we are old and brittle wineskins. Show us whether or not we still need restoring and refreshing. Show us, Father, where we need to be honest with You and to be purged of our sin through the blood of Your Son. Make us new wineskins, Father, I pray. And dear God, fill us with the blood of Your Son so that we can express the new covenant through Him to all who would hear. Lord, as we close our worship today, I pray that You would cause those who hear these words, who, who You are calling to Your side, cause them to hear You through this text. Cause them to see the truth of their condition before Christ. Those of us who have been walking with Christ for any length of time, Lord, cause us to see where perhaps our wineskin is getting dry and where we need the refreshing outpouring of Your Son in us. Lord, as we close in worship, please be here as we sing praises to You. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.